Hi, welcome back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and we figured out all our <clears throat> problems uh, in the, the world of uh, computers this morning. So we're going to start out today. We've got a lot to unpack. Joining me, as always, is uh, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large at CQ Roll Call, uh, John Bennett. And today we're going to talk about a continuation of a story that uh, Michael was involved with or a discussion Michael was involved with. We're going to go over John's uh, CQ Roll Call column this week, which posed some interesting questions and possibilities for the future in this country as far as politics goes uh donald trump's out on the stump did he incriminate himself in south carolina what's the latest in his charges and of course is kevin mccarthy falling apart in the house we'll take a look at all that and much more on just ask the question we'll be right back In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Asked the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with us, as always, CQ editor from Roll Call, John Bennett, Michael Zeldin, our former federal prosecutor. And guys, we're going to start out today. Michael, I want to start out. You had a very interesting discussion on CNN about the wonderful, redoubtable Donald Trump. And I'd like you to fill in uh, our listeners, and I'll have I'll ask you a few questions about that as we go forward. So floor is yours, brother. So the question asked on CNN, the questions asked on CNN were essentially next steps. He's now been arraigned. What is it that we should be looking forward to um, down the line? And the first thing is Donald Trump needs to find a criminal trial lawyer. He does not have one, nor does his um, co-defendant, Walt Natow. NATO doesn't even have a lawyer, period. Right. No less a criminal trial lawyer. But Trump has to find a criminal trial lawyer. He has been unable to find a criminal trial lawyer because he's a complicated client, to say the least. And he surrounds himself with people who he takes political advice from and pretends that it's legal advice against the advice of his actual lawyers. And so lawyers are very loath to take a case where a client doesn't listen to them and they could end up being a witness or worse. So one, he's got to get himself a good lawyer. Secondly, the court asked in a recent order that all lawyers 
begin the, the process of getting security clearances. This is a case that has national defense information. And for the lawyers and then ultimately the jurors to see this evidence, they need to have background checks. And so the judge ordered properly that they begin the process of getting background checks. This is fine if you have a lawyer. The, law, the, the two lawyers that Trump has have begun the process of getting uh, their background checks. Uh, I understand that one of them, the appellate lawyer who used to be like the Solicitor General of Florida, may have been a registered foreign agent for uh, Venezuela, which is perfectly fine, but that's not going to help getting a, get a security clearance. Someone has to fact check that, but that's what I believe um, uh, to be the case. So they have to, everyone's got to start getting um, their, their clearances. And then the judge issued an order at the arraignment that said the lawyers uh, and the clients can speak to one another, but the co-defendants cannot speak to each other directly. And the defendants cannot speak to witnesses directly. They must do so in the presence of, of their lawyers. Pretty basic blocking and tackling stuff. But it's interesting because people have suggested that Walt Natow, who works for Donald Trump, is a person that the prosecutors would like to flip. Yeah. So the notion that the judge is ordering them not to communicate with the other against without their lawyers present, perhaps is a, a sense by the judge that we have to just be very careful here to make sure that there isn't witness um, tampering or uh, other such things. But more than not, it's basic stuff that lawyers only talk to other lawyers with their clients present and the, and the, the defendants don't talk to, to, to one another. Now, the final thing, Brian, I'll pause to let you ask questions, is that they are beginning the process of discovery. That is, they're going to start sharing documents. First, it'll be unclassified documents, and then there'll be classified documents once everyone gets their clearances. The judge has um, issued an order about nobody gets to release these unclassified documents or the contents of them into the public domain, that they should be reviewed only in a, a secure location, um, and that the notes taken on those things be themselves locked up. So she is trying hard at this early stage to make sure that this case is tried in her courtroom and not in the court of public opinion, whether that will you know, remain practical, meaning will the parties actually listen, uh, remains to be seen. But I expect that this judge, uh, and it seems like she's going to stay on the case, really wants to control this um, and will, I think, if the parties don't adhere to her order, put an order uh, restricting their right to speak of this case in public. We saw that in right. the Roger Stone case. We saw that in, I think, one of the Michael Cohen, Kate, Michael Cohen was a uh, prospective witness. So um, I, I think the answer, Brian, is so far so good with the judge, um, so far so good with um, the parties, and um, it's going to be a, a, a long, hard fight. The defense in this case is going to try very hard to keep out the testimony of Evan Corcoran, 
Trump's uh, former trial lawyer from the case, because it is Corcoran who makes the obstruction charges so much more secure. He's the one who said Trump told me right. that that to move the documents, that Trump told me the search was 100%. His testimony was allowed at the grand jury because they said crime fraud exception. I think that the lawyers for Trump, once he gets them, are going to make a big push to see if they can keep his testimony out of trial. I think his trial testimony is secure, um, more secure than less secure, but that is going to be um, a huge fight in, in this case. So let me pause, Brian, and let you ask so the question. Yeah, the two big questions that come to mind, one I think you've already addressed is, you know, this is, uh, the, the judge had been admonished and quickly overturned at the appellate level on some of the earlier uh, decisions she made in this case, uh, prompting people to be very concerned that, or some people to be concerned that she wouldn't be able to handle this. Um, but it, it sounds like you've spoken to the concerns about that. The other one is when <clears throat> Jack Smith came out and made his, and I thought his statement that he made when he came out was not only very terse, very well, the words were well chosen. Uh, but when he at, when he said he wanted a speedy trial as, as quick as could be expected and to, to respect the rights of the accused, what you're talking about, all of these things that we're, we've talked about this morning could be delay tactics, waiting to get an attorney, uh, getting the clearance. What what do you think is a timetable for seeing this actually in court of law? Uh, would it even happen before the uh, election next year? I think if this judge holds the party's feet to the fire and there is nothing that is unforeseen this case could go to trial um in early november i think this end year? Of November, early november of uh of this year yep i think wow. it could i think it could go that quickly if she pushes the parties along because there aren't that many issues that are um that require lengthy delay Trump and his team, as is the case with most defense attorneys, I'm not singling them out for this behavior. Most defense attorneys would love to always extend um, trial deadlines because mostly the facts don't support um, their innocence. <laughs> um, prosecutors always you know, are asking for a speedy trial. So it's up to the judge, and in this case, the magistrate judge too, the two of them are going to work uh, hand in hand, um, to resolve all these pretrial matters, especially those related to the classified documents, because under the Classified Information Protection Act, all of those issues that relate to classification and what will the jury get to see and how will those cases be presented to the court and can they make uh, unclassified summaries available instead of the classified documents themselves, all that stuff has to be done pretrial. Right. They'll fight over that stuff for sure. The The prosecutors will say, you only need to see the 30 documents we charged you with in the indictment. The defense will say, no, we, we need to see every single document in every single box. And they'll fight about that. Um, and the judge will say, you know, yes or no to each of their uh, allegations. You know, one of them might be that the judge says they get to see all 100 classified documents that were taken. Uh, not just the 30, because there may be stuff in there that exculpates um, the defendant. So that stuff, again, is normal 
in a classified information trial. This judge has been on the bench for two and a half years. She's never had a classified information trial. The magistrate judge is a much more experienced judge. Oftentimes, these sort of pretrial motion stuffs are handed off to the magistrate to handle. So if Reinhardt, the magistrate, can really push these parties, I think, Brian, that's not an unreasonable um, timeline here. But, of course, Trump will want it pushed further and further into right. the future uh, in the hopes that they'll run up against the informal DOJ policy that says you don't try these sort of cases 90 days out before election. And then he has this, I think, hope against hope that he pushes it to after the election. He wins. And then he dismisses. He the, pardons the, himself. <laughs> well, not pardons himself, but he dismisses the federal indictments. He's yeah. in charge of the DOJ. And he says, look, I've looked at this and. Uh, um, dismissing these these cases. And, you know, the public outrage of that is of no moment to Donald Trump. Public outrage is... You don't care. That will bother him. What will bother him is the pendency of a criminal indictment. <laughs> well, I'm going to drag John in real quick, but I just want to go over one last thing. And, and John, we're going to get to... This dovetails nicely into your column. But, uh, but the last question is, look, I've read federal indictments over the years many times and have seen a lot of federal cases. Um, this particular indictment, after reading through it, what is particularly damning that I see is the inclusion of, in the indictment, and, and I know how indictments work, but <clears throat> the inclusion of some direct, it, it, it seems like his co-defendant uh, isn't is put in a position to flip because of some of the statements that were made in the indictments about him and how his uh the evidence against him was presented but more importantly it's donald trump's own words in many cases in the recordings uh, that are included in this indictment that i find uh well unique um well can i just say something about this because yeah. there, there 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 is this view in, in the indictment, they they say they recount the con conversations where Trump says, well, do we have to do this? And can we just say yes. no? And all those sort of things. And and many of the pundits have said, well, that those are admissions. That's, you know, uh, and and what <clears throat> it's not to, what I have to caution your audience is that as a as a lawyer, you get a client and that client receives a subpoena. The thing that that client is going to say to you as their lawyer is, tell me about this. Do we have to comply with this? What are our options for not complying with it? What if we don't comply with this? Tell me, Mr. Lawyer or Ms. Lawyer, what are the answers to all these questions? So I've never received a subpoena, and I don't know what my rights are in respect of that subpoena. Right. I expect that Trump's lawyer is going to say those conversations that they recount in this indictment, which they think are so damning can be or will attempted to be portrayed as normal discourse between a client and a lawyer trying to understand what it is that they are allowed to do pursuant to it. So I don't re read it as an admission. What makes it more damning is the conduct after the fact of those conversations where he appears to have uh, obstructed the investigation, which makes those conversations seem less innocuous, which is why I say to you that keeping out the testimony of Evan, Cor Ev Evan Corcoran 
from the crime cartoon is 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 critical to the defense because if they can keep out that obstruction stuff then and portray those initial conversations as you know sort of the normal give and take between a lawyer and say trump didn't have criminal intent in withholding those documents because he was generally of the mind that the presidential records act allows him to keep it and there's confusion and no criminal intent there's a trial there so you know this isn't as slam dunk in my mind as as many would have it be but there are a couple of you know sort of hinge points um that make or break the 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 case or make it easier or harder uh for the prosecutors in this case and let's follow if we follow the line we'll get back to some of that stuff but i gotta john i gotta get you in here because there's you wrote a great column this week that i I read and and at the end of it uh donald trump is found guilty and uh we fade into a scene with donald trump at leavenworth and so I'll let you take it from there. What's going to happen if he is, if he stays at, look, and here's where we're going. He has said, Donald Trump has said, he doesn't care if he's convicted or not. He's staying in the race. So if he stays in the race, he is convicted. He is elected. What happens on inauguration day in 2025, John? Well, the point of writing the column the way I did was uh, just to get folks thinking about uh, that kind of scene. And, you know, I talk a lot about the 100,000 voters in, in six or eight states, the swing states, battlegrounds. <clears throat> uh, just, you know, hopefully maybe they'll read this and think about whether um, they might not want to vote for someone else. So we don't have <laughs> the scene that I describe of, um, you know, there's no there's 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 no event at the Capitol. Uh, the Bidens leave the White House uh, pretty upset on the morning of January 20th, 2025. Uh, they say goodbye to their staff, the, you know, the, the permanent White House staff, uh, the butlers, the chefs, uh, Secret Service, those folks. And, you know, like we talked about last week, the, the Oval Office is being flipped. And at 12 noon, um, Donald Trump inside Leavenworth, there's a, uh, you know, I describe a media pool. Uh, the small pool is swept and escorted inside Leavenworth Prison in Kansas, and there's Donald Trump and a federal judge. And you know, I I picked Eric because Eric was there with him, went to the arraignment with him uh, right. last week. So I picked Eric holding a family Bible and bada bing, bada boom, we've <laughs> sworn in the 47th president <laughs> inside Leavenworth, and he walks to. I, I described a scene where he's sworn in. And he immediately walks to a table and signs a document, and that is his own pardon. He self-pardons inside Leavenworth. It's his first act. And, you know, then led to the the biggest motorcade ever. By the way, his motorcade is still 11 cars somehow. Right. I guess we're paying for that. That's that's another podcast we can get into some other time. <laughs> so, you know, he's, he's off to Kansas City International Airport. And there's Air Force One. Biden took the small one to to Delaware. And there's the the big bird um, and Donald Trump up the stairs to Joint Base Andrews. And one of my favorite parts of the column, um, I I just envision this uh, mid-afternoon, early evening arrival on the South Lawn via Marine One. And we're right back to chopper talk. (laughs) He's out there for, you know, 30, 40 minutes 
jousting with reporters. Maybe some familiar faces are back on the beat. <laughs> They're back for more because, you know, like for better or worse, uh, there are those of us who know how to cover him. So you got to send your right folks. And then, yeah, he's arguing with reporters and then walks right into the Oval Office. And I, I just think people need to think about whether that's something that the country after all this uh, needs to go through. So, but it could happen. There, there are other uh, possibilities, legal experts and lawmakers that I talked to, you know, he Trump himself could go the 25th amendment route, uh, sign over the powers of the office. And then his vice president would pardon him. And then Trump would say, Oh, now I can carry out the duties of the office because all this legal stuff goes away. But that's, that's a little, a little harder for various reasons. Um, but the one thing that I think the country needs to think about is Trump could be sworn in and, you know, various parties that uh, they would challenge the self-pardon because it's never been decided by a court. There is no precedent here. So so it would be challenged. I, I think we can we can make that small jump in our in our minds. And, and then it would have to go through the court system. And, there, you know, the question of could he serve or should he serve? Uh, while that is winding its way to the Supreme Court, uh, would would definitely be you know, that would be the topic A all around the world. Uh, but knowing Trump, he probably would would end up serving uh, while that self pardon, um, you know, and it would go to the Supreme Court. And that's an interesting predicament. As for Trump, that's an interesting predicament. As I pointed out in the column, you know, he appointed what is it? He appointed three of the six conservative justices on the Supreme Court. But all of those cases related to the 2020 election, um, he 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 lost most of those folks, you know. Right. Uh, those weren't close decisions. Those weren't five, four decisions. So he's got a problem. Uh, we saw Brett Kavanaugh and and John Roberts, the chief justice, um, you know, they sided with the liberals on a couple cases recently. So um, that could be that could be uh, tough for Trump. But at the same time, the Supreme Court, no matter its makeup ideologically has has usually upheld the powers of the presidency they've they've stuck you know pretty close to the constitution by the book so the conclusion i came to uh was that the self-pardon would be upheld and trump would would for lack of a better term get away with all of it i've had psilocybin nightmares my brother Not, nothing as scary as what you wrote in that column let's <laughs> Let's talk about uh, before, but we're going to take a quick break. But before we go to break, uh, Michael, you know, how realistic? I mean, it's it's a fear that, you know, he 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 would be <clears throat> pardon himself, come back to the uh, White House and then go on his revenge tour. And, uh, you know, <laughs> after he got there. And I, I know I'd probably be one of those that he'd be going after as would Jim and you, John, and anybody that doesn't, you know, kiss his ass. That's, that's all uh, well and good, but what's the real chances of any of that happening? I mean, that's real. We're talking about uh, stuff, steps we've never taken in this country. Well, step one, of course, is not to reelect him. And then we don't have to worry about yes. any of these things. Um, step two is if he is reelected, and as John says, it's not settled constitutionally whether a president can pardon himself. And I don't know how exactly that would work. He issues a pardon. I don't know who has standing 
to challenge the self-issued pardon. I, I, I don't know. I don't know who that would be. I mean, normally it would be like the Justice Department that does that, but the Justice Department works for him. So I don't know whether the legislative branch has standing to break it. So I don't know how exactly it makes its way into the court system. I'm sure someone smarter than me knows the answer to that. Um, then this 25th Amendment um, gambit, let's say it's decided that Trump cannot self-pardon. The 25th Amendment gambit is, the 25th Amendment says, when the president is un, unable to serve, you know, uh, they're going under anesthesia for an uh, operation. Right. Or, or in the case of John Kennedy, where there was no you know, easy succession thing, they say that when the president is, is physically incapacitated, Reagan, it happened with Reagan, remember? He got right. shot by Squeaky Fromm. He's going under uh, anesthesia, and the vice president assumes the authority of the president under the 25th Amendment until, unless and until the president re returns. The, the gambit here is that Trump says, I'm unable to serve because I'm facing uh, criminal indictment or I've been convicted. Um, and the vice president says, okay, I'll assume your, your, your responsibilities. And now as, as acting president, I pardon you. And then as a pardoned person, he says, I'm no longer um, incapacitated and I come back and be president. Well, that also is an uncertain path because the 25th Amendment, and if you look at the legislative history of it, was designed to uh, address situations where the president was physically in incapable of serving. Uh, <laughs> not legally incapable. <laughs> and, 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 and so not, it's not politically encumbered. It's physically uh, disabled. And so, again, I don't know if Trump were, again, under this hypothetical Trump war president and he um, feels disabled because of the indictment and he says, I'm going to step aside of the 25th Amendment, who has standing to say to the vice president, you lack that authority because he has um, not met the standards that the 25th Amendment was intended to address. Right. I don't know how any of those things uh, play out, which is why John's piece is so interesting, because none of us uh, do, none of us, at least the three of us, um, right. sure somebody does. Um, and when you talk of constitutional crises, this seems, you know, sort of a textbook definition where you have these types of things going on and nobody really knows exactly how best to proceed under under them. So hopefully we don't have to cross that bridge. There you go. With that, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi. 
Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karen. We've been speaking with uh, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett, about Donald Trump and the indictment. And uh, John uh, posed the extreme question that people have to take a look at if Donald Trump is still in a race, which he said he's going to be even if he's convicted. I want to switch now to some of the things that have been said about the indictment uh, uh, against Donald Trump. And um, Asa Hutchinson, a former federal prosecutor, said he's never seen anything as quite as as uh, damning as the indictment against Donald Trump. Uh, you've got your former attorney general, Bill Barr, uh, who said that, you know, Donald Trump's goose is cooked. And representative, more importantly, Representative Ken Buck of Colorado, he's a former Trump warrior, right wing extremist in his own right says if uh, Donald and he thinks these are very serious charges and uh, if Donald Trump is found guilty, uh, Buck says he's not going to support a convicted felon for the White House. Um, he even quoted Trump on the campaign trail saying uh, about Hillary Clinton being unfit for office due to her handling of classified material. Um, he Buck says, quote, I think his words will set the standard that America will look at in determining whether he is fit for president. His own words were saying you have to be responsible with classified material. So the, the, these charges, and I'll, I'll I'll just say it. I've like I said earlier, Michael. I've read them, John, and you've read them. We've all hell. I read them aloud for people who don't want to read them and recorded it so people could listen to it. But I beg people to just take a look at the indictment itself, and and see how serious it is. And it was Jack Smith who said these were very serious charges. And I said he had the cold eyes of a shark as he stood up there, or maybe Marshall Dillon. But um, at the end of the day, with the charges as they are and as serious as they appear to be, is there any indication, and John, we'll start with you in the political arena, is there any indication that even his uh, his supporters now are are voicing concerns about him or or – or that they may back away from him if this goes even further. The closest thing that we have gotten to that is some of the other um, uh, Republican candidates, Tim Scott, the senator of South Carolina, uh, Nikki Haley, former South Carolina governor, and and of course Chris Christie, uh, former New Jersey governor, uh, have have said at you know Christie says he's unfit for office and should be um, disqualified. Haley and Scott. I uh, kind of, you know, they changed their tune, at least I think Haley then changed her tune back, but they did say that the behavior and the actions in the indictment um, are troubling and, and that voters should, should take them very seriously and that Trump could be in, in pretty hot legal water. Uh, Republican senators, a lot of them just don't want to talk about it or um, they, 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 they pivot quickly to blaming the Justice Department and the FBI. Some of them, especially House Republicans, will then take the next step and say, well, this is all Joe Biden. He's orchestrating all this from the top. He's ordering Merrick Garland, the attorney general, to order right. Christopher Gray, the FBI director, to be very mean to Mr. Trump and do nothing to Hillary Clinton. Oh, by the way, that case was dismissed by a federal judge about her um, right. of emails while secretary of state. Uh, no matter, we don't need to bring up the dismissal if you're a Republican lawmaker. So they're not defending. A lot of them aren't defending the actions that they're not, you know, they're not saying that Trump. A lot of Republicans are not saying Trump did nothing wrong, if I can have any more negatives in that sentence. Um, 
but 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 they're saying uh, essentially that this is a double standard and and the justice department didn't do anything to hillary clinton but uh here they are going after trump and it's all political so that's that's you know it, it's interesting to me that they're not defending the action and right. that's different than in past things that trump has said and done um you know this is um it, it, it it's interesting though that even senators like kevin kramer who i talked to last week he's supporting the governor of his state north dakota governor burgum um but he kind of indirectly in my conversation with him defended trump um and that's because as kramer said during all of this trump's rallies will only get bigger and the support for him will get stronger not weaker so and i, I senator kramer is exactly right you see it in the polls uh, he's up by 30 plus points excuse me on ron DeSantis in some polls and I had not spent a lot of time until last week with general election polling. It's so far away from a potential right. Trump-Biden rematch. But Trump is either leading Biden just on the, the 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 margin, just on the kind of that perimeter of the margin of error, four or five points in some polls, or it's a dead heat, or Biden's up by two, three. It's in the margin there, too. So we can call this thing a dead heat and... That's that's pretty amazing considering all that that Trump's been a, arrested. Well, not arrested the second time, I guess technically he's been arraigned twice in two months, and he's running in a dead heat to be the leader of the free world. It's uh, it's it's just really remarkable to me. If this was anyone else, if this was anyone else, the poll numbers would have just cratered, and probably the donors would have walked away, and that individual would would no longer be a candidate. Would have, would have dropped out of the race already. But this guy just keeps going. As I wrote in that column that we were just discussing, the Trump 2024 train is just thundering down the track right now. Yeah. So, Michael, let me flip flip the switch over to you. Go, go uh, ahead. Can, can, is it possible to for me to pause for one second? Yeah. I'm you sorry. Okay? Can you put it on stop? Yeah. Okay. So what's the question? In uh, three, two, one. Hi, we're back. We had an emergency uh, protocol visit. Uh, this, this, Michael, the, before we went to break, the, the question for you and following up John's, uh, 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 what he was saying, and the next steps, is it is it at all conceivable that uh, th this particular uh, piece of information, this indictment, is serious enough to shed... Uh, to to keep Donald Trump out of this race, or are we seriously looking at uh, the possibility that we could elect a president uh, to the United States that has not only been indicted twice, impeached twice, but may have may face uh, the fact that he's he's convicted? Apparently not. Apparently, this fits the narrative that he is the victim of a weaponized DOJ and that if they can do this to him, they can do it to us. It's the sort of variation on a, if they can take away my gun, they're taking away your freedom, um, you know, sort of ar argument. And look, so far, so far it's, it's resonating that, they believe Trump to be 
a victim of a weaponized DOJ that which makes me a little bit you know sort of concerned about that line of thinking is what's the factual predicate for it there the, is none well if they say as uh, some columnist in the Washington Post wrote recently that it's a weaponized DOJ um, and that you have to look at what happened to Trump in the context of uh, the last couple of years. Well, of course, the Mueller investigation, which always is exhibit A of a weaponized DOJ, was triggered by their own Justice Department. It was right. Trump's Justice Department who felt that Trump needed to be investigated for, for this. It wasn't a Biden or Obama Justice Department. It was Trump's. It was Rod Rosenstein acting United acting uh, U.S. Attorney General. Uh, so, and if you say, well, what about the impeachments? Well, the impeachments weren't the DOJ. They were Congress. And if you're saying, well, Congress is politicized, well, you know. It was Republicans. <laughs> well, but 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 Congress is always politicized. It's the political branch yeah. of the government. Um, that's supposed to be politicized. Maybe not as, you know, maybe not as uh, dysfunctional as they are now. But, but so there, there isn't a factual basis for, I think, saying that the Justice Department has been weaponized against Trump. Anyone who thinks that this investigation of the Mar-a-Lago documents is not worthy of investigation, I think, doesn't understand the role of the Justice Department. How do you not investigate the taking of classified documents, the retaining of them, the obstructing of that? investigation and the lying of that to the DOJ. How do you not investigate that? That would be a dereliction of the DOJ. Well, that would be politicization, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah, that would be yeah, the sure. that would, that be, would be evidence, prima facie evidence of, politi of politicization of the DOJ. That would be favoritism. And yeah. that's not what this works. I, you know, people say, well, what about ism stuff? What about um the Hillary Clinton case, why wasn't she in investigated? Uh, why wasn't she indicted? She was investigated. And uh, I, I want to remind people to look back at what um, then FBI Director Comey said when he decided that it was not in the interests of the DOJ to bring these charges. Remember, he doesn't bring them, he just recommends them. And what he said, right. the statement he made was, in looking back at our investigations into mishandling or removal of classified information, we cannot find a case that would support bringing criminal charges on these, the Hillary Clinton facts. All of the cases prosecuted involve some combination of clearly intentional and willful mishandling of classified documents or vast quantities of materials exposed in such a way as to support an inference of intentional misconduct or indications of disloyalty to the United States or efforts to obstruct justice. We find none of them in this case. But if you look at them, volumes of documents, willful behavior, efforts to obstruct, those are all the bread and butter types of cases that DOJ has over the years. Handled. And Daniel Dale uh, for CNN, their fact checker, has a piece up on CNN.com where he lists out seven cases that were recently brought uh, on facts just like this against ordinary people. 
you know, ordinary government people. So it's just a false narrative that that Trump is being singled out and treated worse um, than everybody else. In fact, I think that he's been given more benefits of the doubt oh, yes. than, than than the ordinary citizen has. And so, but but to to the MAGA base and a substantial number of Republicans generally, they have accepted the truth of the proposition that there is a weaponized DOJ who's coming after Trump so they can come after you. And I don't know how you break that narrative. Maybe Chris Christie or Asa Hutchinson or others can pros- prosecute the case in the primaries um, that what Donald Trump is saying is just factually unsupported. Um, but I think it's going to take- Facts their- don't matter. <laughs> no, but I think it's going to take, I think it's going to take some of their own- um, to do this. I think it has to be organic within the Republican Party. I don't think uh, anybody from the outside is going to convince anybody uh, that that what Trump is saying is untrue. I think it has to come from. Of course. Within. And hopefully there'll be, you know, one or That's- two people who, you know, sort of have the courage of their convictions to, to call this out. Well, that's that's Ken Buck and and Bill Barr so far that have come forward. But the people in Congress that and I hate to interrupt, but the, the, I, you bring up some that, John, you got to jump in on. I mean, these yeah. people in Congress know for a, I mean, they know they're not stupid. Whatever else you want to say about them, you and I both know they say something privately that they don't uh-huh. say publicly. Sure. They know that Donald that this hasn't been politicized, but it it's politically expedient for them to say that it is of course and uh, they get they 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 get to ride on the um you know the the jet fuel that is that base and if they can at least publicly be perceived by enough voters within that base um that gives them a huge advantage uh both in a in a primary and oh by the way if they say publicly things that Trump thinks that he's that that these lawmakers are defending him or attacking his enemies, then they're less likely to get a primary challenge from the right picked by Trump. Right. Now his his track record on that isn't great, but he can crush people. Look at a Bob Corker, former senator, Senate Foreign Relations Chairman from Tennessee. Uh, Corker dared speak the truth about what he felt about the Trump White House and. He was just crushed. His donors went away. He couldn't run a, ca- a serious campaign uh, because the donors were ready to to, to give their um, all their cash to whoever Trump would have anointed as as the nominee down in Tennessee. That's just one example. So you know Trump's track record isn't great, but he can crush people, and that's really the motivation to defend him or or attack. In this case, attack his enemies. Uh, there's not a right. lot of defense what he did with the documents. So. Uh, it is politically expedient. It's all about politics. Um, and, you know, to Michael's point, he makes some good points. But we do have voices. We do have voices saying these things right now. We have more voices than ever saying these things from inside the Republican tent about Trump. But there, I just don't see any evidence that the fever is close to breaking that he has over that party and it will take him uh, not to be morbid here, but you have to be honest. Um, he's 77 and, um, 
you know, it'll take him leaving the stage, I think, for the fever to break. I don't see anyone who can carry the MAGA baton quite like Don. So it's going <laughs> to take him it's going to take him leaving the stage. And does if that means federal prison over some of this, that's 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 one way that could happen. Of course, he's 77. He could pass. That's another way that the fever could break. But the fever is is no longer a bug. It's a feature in the Republican Party. Yeah. And I just, you know, like I said, we have all these voices. Chris Christie has national name recognition. A lot of people know who Bill Barr is. But Trump's ability to just swat these these folks away like mosquitoes is just remarkable. Yeah, that, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, is there any chance, and um, Michael, like there has been speculation. Donald Trump went on the stump in South Carolina and said, uh, basically, these these are my these these were my documents. I get to keep them. He reiterated that which he knows not to be true. His is his appearance on the stump in any way could contribute to his prosecution. Well, if he said something that was against his legal interests, but what he's saying on the on the stump is what he's been saying all along, which is that he believes under the Presidential Records Act that he was entitled to take these documents until and unless such time as he and the uh, National Archives um, reach some understanding. And that is his position. And he has taken that position um, over and over throughout um, dependency of, of this case. And it is that position which I think they will argue at trial, which is, I didn't have criminal intent. I had a belief that the Presidential Records Act entitled me to do this. I was acting pursuant to the Presidential Records Act, and perhaps even on the advice of counsel with respect to the Presidential Records Act. And so, yeah, I had these documents, but I had them in good faith, and I didn't violate the criminal laws of the United States because I lacked criminal intent. I think that'll be his defense, whether it you know is availing, a jury will decide. But so when he keeps repeating that, I don't see that as you know an admission that's different than what he has been saying all along, which he says they're mine. Then they're not, but he says they're mine, and I believe that, and he believes that they were his, and it'll be up to the judge's jury instructions and the jury to decide whether that is a reasonable belief or that was, uh, you know, as unsustainable as a belief that he won the presidential election. And do you think that he could face additional charges? There's been talk. I mean, neither one of these federal uh, grand juries have been dismissed, correct? In either in D.C. or in Florida. Right. I'm not sure what additional charges there would be to bring if um, they develop new evidence, then maybe. And if you remember correctly, one of the reasons that the judge in issuing the order that you are not supposed to talk uh, about this case among each other, except through lawyers, is because the DOJ in their protective order motion, which the defense agreed to, said we have other ongoing investigations and it could compromise those ongoing investigations. It doesn't say who are the targets of those ongoing investigations. But I suppose in theory, uh, Donald Trump could be under continuing ed, ed, uh, investigation for these Mar-a-Lago documents. Evidence could be developed that indicates other behavior that hasn't been yet 
charged. Uh, so sure, it's possible, but you would have thought that if they had evidence at the moment that indicated that he shared the document with foreigners or he profited from the documents or that that would have been charged. So yeah. maybe it's just that uh, they didn't have the evidence or in national uh, security classified documents cases, sometimes you have evidence of that, but you're just not about to share it in a, in a courtroom. Remember, yeah. in, this case, in this case, they charged 31 documents as the unlawful retention. They seized about 100 from his office. The question is, are these the worst documents? <laughs> are these the 31 worst? Or are these the 31 that they Easiest. felt we could live with? Not easy, but we could live with there being the contents of which being revealed publicly. Ah. But the remaining 70 are so highly classified that we would rather the defendant go free than to reveal the contents of those classified documents. We don't know what the answer is to that question, but it could be either or uh, of those things. So, so John, we're we're back to Leavenworth. <laughs> we're we're gonna right. <laughs> we're gonna take a, a short break, and when we come back, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about something other than Donald Trump. Amazing. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and uh, you can get those advanced tickets to Leavenworth uh, for the January uh, inauguration here. <laughs> you can you can schedule that trip now to watch Donald Trump inaugurated from behind bars. Actually, we're going to uh, shift gears a little bit. One of the other fallouts um, that's been going on that we've kind of missed this week because, as usual, Donald Trump takes up a lot of oxygen out of the room. But uh, the Republicans are having a little problem in the House, are they not, John, with Kevin McCarthy and the wonderful Freedom Caucus and a bunch of those folks? You want to bring us up to date? Well, since we last spoke, the Freedom Caucus and some of their allies who don't identify as Freedom Caucus members, they stood down uh, early last week and uh, they allowed the House floor to function again. They started voting for rules which dictate debate and um, you know how long each vote is and how many amendments and all that uh, process stuff. So uh, we've got bills moving again on the House side. These are messaging bills. They're not going anywhere in, in the Senate uh, and certainly not going to get uh, Joe Biden's signature to make them into law if they did get out <laughs> of the So, but, but this is what McCarthy, you know, he wants to run on these issues. He knows that he's suddenly going to have a hard time uh, keeping that five-seat majority and and Trump's presence on the ballot might not help in, in enough places or might hurt him. In, in some right. of those purple districts, there, there are 18 House districts now represented by a Republican 
uh, in districts that Joe Biden won in 2020. So people split their ballot. Um, now, if that flip, if you lose half of those, then you lose the House. So McCarthy knows um, that he needs his candidates to go home and say, we voted uh, we, we voted to try to block or, or minimize this Biden administration regulation on gas stoves or um, um, this. Uh, they, they, they had a bill this week about pistol braces for handguns. I'm still not sure uh, what that is, but that's a Second Amendment. Uh, <laughs> that's a Second Amendment uh, issue. So that 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 kind of thing, that's what he wants to do. But but big but. The Freedom Caucus still wants cuts. They want to see they want the blood. budget funding funding levels come down to here. I, but you can't see this. They want uh, our listeners can't see that, of course. My hand motion. They want it to come down more than is in the recent uh, debt and spending deal that McCarthy cut with with President Biden. That that deal holds federal spending for the most part steady at current levels. The Freedom Caucus folks want, it, want federal spending in next year's set of bills that they're writing right now to go down to fiscal 22 levels. And McCarthy argues that the deal was the deal um, until Monday night when he, he agreed if they would open up the House floor, that the House at least would write their bills to their appropriations bills to fiscal 22 levels. Now, this is a huge problem. Because even Susan Collins told one of my colleagues this week, um, she is the the vice chairman of the ranking member of the Senate Appropriations Committee. So even Senate Republican appropriators intend to write their bills to the fiscal 23 levels. So we are heading for a government shutdown again uh, on September 30th again, because those will be big differences in spending numbers. You know, if you're talking four or five percent. That's real money. The federal government spends a lot of our taxpayer money. So you're going to have 12 of these things. And with the possible exceptions of the defense appropriations bill and the bill that funds the Veterans Department, those two might not be a sticking point. But you got 10 other appropriations bills that are going to have huge differences in funding levels and the freedom caucus guys remember all it takes is one to bring a motion to vacate the speakership so if mccarthy thinks he's going to pass 12 appropriations bills at higher levels than the rebels want um with just republican votes he's got a problem and if the rebels object to him passing bills with higher funding levels than they want with a bunch of democratic votes like he did on the debt deal um, or possibly or probably a majority of Democratic votes, he's got an even bigger problem because they can come after the speakership, which is the job, the only job he's ever really wanted really, really bad. So <laughs> does he want to have, you know, does he want to have a nine-month speakership or does he want to try to pass these bills with just Republican votes? He will try to pass them with with either mostly Republican votes or all Republican votes, and that's where things will get really dicey in late September and early October. And some Freedom Caucus members told our colleagues at Punchbowl News uh, um, in their Friday morning issue, these rebels, they don't care if the government shuts down. They don't see it as a big deal. And they say, if that's what it takes to get what we want, then shut it down. So, so the this question problem is, is coming. This problem is coming 
down the road. We're months away from it, but it's it's already there. You can see it on the horizon. So does Kevin McCarthy keep his speakership? Yes or no? Well, the problem for the rebels, and they say this in so many words, they don't have a replacement who can get the necessary votes yeah. to become speaker. And the Democrats, you know, there's a theory that the Demo and and one thing this theory is a fear of the rebels that the that that the Dem House Democrats would get with the more moderate House Republicans, then they could nominate someone and that person would have the votes to become speaker. So kind of a coalition speaker. Um, and uh, so, I that, does, so that mean that they're marginalized if you look at the take the long haul? I mean, they're they're full of shit. And they're marginalized. I assume that coalition speaker having the votes to do so would quickly craft and pass a new rules package that, for instance, would change the number, the, the, the motion to vacate the speakership. That number would go from one to back where it was. And I forget the exact number. So, yeah, you could pass a new rules package with the co and the coalition then would push it across the finish line. And and then things would get really interesting uh, in the House. Not that they're not always interesting in the House, but it would be interesting to see how if that coalition could stay together for a year and a half. Um, but but, yeah, the Freedom Caucus and, and the other rebels, they don't have a candidate who could become speaker. Um, so and they know that. <laughs> But it's just going to be these repeated showdowns between them and McCarthy. Um, and McCarthy's showing no signs. He's still defending Donald Trump. He's showing no signs <laughs> that he's going to go to Akeem Jeffries, the Democratic leader, and, you know, propose some kind of um, some kind of coalition arrangement where, you know, the moderates on both parties. And there are enough votes to pass bills with those moderates. But, you know, McCarthy's got to think about the majority. And that's not the way to keep the majority, not you know, with the, the districts being drawn like they are, um, you you would you you just couldn't keep the majority um if he did that. So, you know, they've got they've got issues. We knew they would have issues. This is this is on schedule. We didn't know exactly what it would be, but the rebels stood down after the speaker fight for a few months. Uh, but they're back and they're making a lot of noise. Now they're about to leave on a two-week recess, their annual July 4th recess. And I've just got a feeling that this could be a week that the House leaves in a big huff and everyone's just, frankly, yes. pissed off at each other. <laughs> and, you know, haven't had a chance to do any reporting on that, but I just have this feeling that it's going to get noisy about Wednesday or Thursday on the Hill. Well, it's always noisy on the Hill. <laughs> it's just lately that Donald Trump's been drowning out the noise of crap of his own. Which brings me to another topic, I, a letter. And this is Michael and you and John had talked about this earlier. Um, this uh, this question comes from AMC Gremlin. Uh, and I, I, I maybe they owned one. Uh, if and I want to get this right. Um, if Hillary Clinton does not get prosecuted, how can you say that there isn't a two tier justice system? Michael, I'll let you. And first of all, uh, we spoke earlier about Donald Trump saying, "You come, you know, if you come after me, I, they're actually coming after you. That if they can come after me, they can come after you." Technically, that's correct, but to me, that was always no one is above the law. So, the two tier justice system, I, I, I would think there would be one if we didn't go after him. But I'm, I'm gonna let you. You're the, you're the 
analyst there. You're the, you're the guy that knows. If Hillary Clinton doesn't get prosecuted, how can you say there isn't a two-tier justice system? I will tell you again what I told you a few minutes ago, which is in evaluating the evidence in the Hillary Clinton case, then FBI Director Comey, a lifelong Republican and no friend of any real politician, outlined the reasons why he didn't recommend to the DOJ that there be prosecution. And I'll say it again. He said he looked over all of the investigations of people who handled or removed, mishandled or removed classified information. And in all of those cases, there were certain common themes, some combination of clearly intentional and willful mishandling, vast quantities of materials exposed in such a way as to support an inference of misconduct or efforts to obstruct justice. What he said was the facts of the Hillary Clinton case do not align with those traditional bases for investigation, and he didn't want to treat her better or worse than others who would have been similarly situated, and therefore he recommended the decline prosecution. In the Trump case, if Jack Smith is applying the same standard, what he will see is in evidence of intentional and willful mishandling, vast quantities of materials that were exposed, and efforts to obstruct justice. So they're not apples to apples, they're apples to oranges, and the prosecutors looking at the cases acknowledged those differences, and that's why there isn't two tiers of uh, analysis, one for Hillary and one for Trump. There's one consistent uh, strain of analysis, and it is, do you fit the standards for prosecution? If so, you get prosecuted. If you don't, you don't. There you go. John, for you, letter from, I think it's near end 20. I hope it isn't rear end 28. Near end 28. <laughs> why don't we do any reporting on Biden's uh, son's laptops? Why aren't we doing, is the press, are we, I guess the question is, aren't, aren't we biased because we're not talking about Hunter Biden's laptop? I think we could do more on that. Um, I'm not inside every newsroom. I don't know uh, how decisions are made. You're not? I thought you were you, regard. No, I thought you were no. ubiquitous, brother, everywhere. No, thankfully <laughs> not. Uh, newsrooms are interesting places these days. We get uh, <laughs> at that. Um, yeah, I, I, I think we could cover it a little bit more. Uh, I think that... Uh, Mr., uh, Mr. Hunter Biden uh, is probably... Uh, in in some hot water here, it looks like, you know, um, the the tax charges and and some other things that he allegedly did um, could bring, likely will bring some kind of punishment. Uh, you know, federal investigations are tough to cover; they're pretty secretive. Um, well, but there's yeah, been I, no I charges so far, right? I mean, there's been no charges. Sure, there's one, been no one of the reasons why. We haven't done more on it is because there's been nothing more done on it when it's well, we know the allegations we we haven't. I mean, in, in some cases, we've even heard Republicans say the information that 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 they thought they had, they don't have. 
Mm-hmm. That, that so, you know, it was Rudy Giuliani who said, you know, their their secret source up and died, and so there's all kinds of speculation about that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. the and the Biden crime family and everything you hear about Donald Trump is also equated to Biden, and that's it's not. It's it, one of the reasons it's, you know, like when they say, well, what about Hillary or what about that? Hillary Clinton did sit for several hours in a hearing and answered all the questions. Donald Trump never has. I remember covering that hearing. That was, uh, <laughs> that was a day. That yeah. was a day. But um, another way that that we could cover this is that the various House um, investigations of the Bidens, especially the Oversight Committee led by James Comer, but the problem there and a couple of his Republican members were on um, uh, Fox News this morning. You know, they say things, but they don't provide any evidence or, you know, they say like the Bidens had X number of LLC accounts. Well, that's not illegal. It make, it makes my eyebrows go up. Why did they have so many? Right. But that's not illegal by itself. And they don't connect any of these dots. They just throw a bunch of dots on the wall for the Fox News audience, I mean, they eat it up. They eat it up. Um, but we can't cover that because if you have the evidence, and I've told Mr. Comer's people this, if you have the evidence, I would love to write about it. Sure. But you haven't showed it to me. So it's there and is in a fact, they say it doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there is a responsibility factor on our part to not put some of this stuff out into the ether. And I think that's that's probably the frustration that that uh, that the listener is feeling there. But we have to evaluate what Comer and his folks are putting out there um, because we don't we don't want to we don't want to go along with um, their attempts to. And, and this is partly political. They've admitted that we can say that now, the House yes. Republicans. So we don't want to necessarily push that political agenda because they're trying to you know, further ding the Bidens and President Biden going into the election. So we do have to pump the brakes. And if there's no there there, you know, we don't want to put that out there. So I think that and, and, and you see it on Fox News or Newsmax. And then you're you flip over to CNN or you're you're browsing The Washington Post and you don't see it. But that's because we're making those decisions. Yeah. Editorial decisions, facts. If someone's going to make an accusation and I have covered many stories over the years particularly when i was in america's most wanted where people would make criminal allegations and, and accusations all the time unbacked by facts right. whereas what you see in the indictment and michael you can speak to this better than i these are vetted facts these now it's one side to the story but one of the reasons why we're covering Trump, the way we're covering him is is because he has been indicted. There was a statement of facts that brought about the charges. This wasn't Don, this wasn't Joe Biden. This was a grand jury of twelve people who came up with it with the uh, with the indictment. So it those are factual. Those are we we are wedded or we try to be wedded to the facts. Michael, I think there'll be a lot to talk about when the prosecutors make a decision in the Biden case. Until then, I think we're we're doing the best we can with an investigation that's very closely held. And yeah. uh, as John says, you better to deal in facts than rumors. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of, I fall down on that one myself. I'll fall on that sword. <laughs> well, that's about it. That's the time we have today. Listen, guys, I want to thank you once again. Great show. And uh, 
I oh, I was told by by the producer. Uh, we read your letters, and you can send your letters to just ask the question at justaskthequestion.com. Uh, we'd love to, uh, any letters that you have, any questions that you have, please send them in. We'll be happy to answer them as we get them. The name of the show is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. John, where can we catch your stuff at? Uh, rollcall.com every Friday, uh, my weekly column. Uh, pausing this week while I do some editing duties uh, late in the week, it is vacation season. So the backup quarterback uh, has to come <laughs> nah. in. But- the column will return on June 30th and CQ Afternoon Briefing, uh, CQ.com. And Michael. That said, with Michael Zeldin is the name of my podcast. It appears almost every week. And as we've discussed, we talk about books that are of interest to me and hopefully to the listening audience. All nonfiction books, some of them on the Museum of Modern Art, others on uh, law and, and politics, a whole potpourri of, of topics. And this is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caraman. To all the fathers out there, I want to wish you guys a happy Father's Day. Michael, John, thanks for joining us today. We'll catch you next week. See you next time.